Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning. Uh, we, uh, I, I see there is a, a number of newcomers, new people that are attending for the first time. And uh, if you are brand new today, we would love to get to know you, myself and my wife, Rachel, and Pastor Heather, our, our worship pastor. We would love to get to know you and uh, meet you at the Info Center following the service at the back. Uh, it would be great to, to just talk with you and, and hear your story and hear a little bit about what God's doing here in Milton, in our community, and in our church. Um, we are in a series called This is Living, Choosing Joy in Life's Everyday Moments. And uh, uh, the last number of weeks, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And uh, just for those of you who are wondering, when it comes to the book, the book of Philippians, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to a newly established church in, in Philippi, and it was predominantly made up of unchurched, non-Jews, we also known as Gentiles. And they were completely brand new to the faith. And as a result, they didn't really know what they were doing, to be honest. Uh, in a way, how could you blame them? Right, what it, uh, um, what it looked like to be a follower of Christ hadn't yet really been defined or worked out completely. This was a newly established way of life, and no one was really leading this movement at the time. These people just believed in Jesus and believed that he had really done a work in their heart and transformed their lives in such a way that they wanted to live different. And as most of you know, there are a lot of things that we can get by on not really knowing uh, how something works. We can, we can get by on things we, you know, we, we don't really know how it works, but we can, we can figure it out or we can fill in the missing pieces on our own. But then there are things, there are things that I would say are just don't evens. Things that are, are, are don't evens, things like driving, Right? If you don't know how to drive, if no one's explained it to you, if, if no one's given you a manual, don't even. Right? It's not going to work out. Anyone here have some crazy stories about you, you know, taking your parents' vehicle when you weren't supposed to? Yes, I see those hands. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right? Uh, that's a don't even, right? We have other don't evens like, um, uh, maybe it's uh, uh, asking someone out when you, when you don't really know what you're doing. I remember I was uh, sitting in a Starbucks and uh, just enjoying my coffee, doing some work, and uh, I was sitting there, and this, uh, this guy kind of came up, and uh, there was a girl across from me at one of those long tables, and he started just mumbling and bumbling. And I think he meant to compliment her, but he ended up complimenting her coffee. And, and I was sitting there just working away going, oh, man, like, do I intervene right now? Like, what? And then I, I just did the cowardly thing, and I just kept typing, right? I was just like, I just don't even know where to start in this, right? 
And then there's other don't-evens uh, that, that would be near and dear to me, right? If, if you really don't know what you're doing, don't do it, would be cooking. Cooking. Let me see by a show of hands, who's the cook in the house? Raise your hands. Cook in the house. Cook in the house. Okay. Uh, so you do all the cooking. Uh, now, raise the hands again. Who's a cook in the house? Because if, if your significant other attempted cooking, they would burn down the house. Yes? Aha, thank you. We have some honest hands. We have some honest hands. We have some people in trouble after the service as well. Okay. Uh, or maybe, uh, maybe, have you ever tried an experiment with cooking, uh, aka you don't do well with instructions, and so the food is terrible, yeah? You ever, you know, you see one of those chef uh, shows and you're like, I can do this, right? Da, 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 right? And then suddenly you're like, gag, right? This will get me in trouble, but I remember when uh, Rachel and I, uh, we were first married, and, and she really liked this uh, stuff that was like thistles. Time. It's called time. <laughs> and so she's, she's saying to me, she's, she's like, how do you like the food? And I, I, I didn't know how to describe it, so I was like, uh, she, she was like, do you like the food? Like, do you want more? And I said, no, thanks. I'm still finishing my thistles right? Um, I'm in so much trouble. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, you know, but uh, in our house, I attempt to cook, and Rachel has pity on me. She lets me do the barbecuing, and there's three types of barbecuing that I do. You have three options. You have burnt, charred, and well done, okay? Um, but uh, any of you here remember the first time that you cooked? Um, you were learning to cook, and if you followed the cookbook or if you listened to your parents' instructions, what happened? You ended up being a great uh, piece of uh, uh, food. It was delicious. It was really good. But when you didn't obey the recipe or when you didn't, you know, focus what, uh, or listen to what your parents said, it came out terrible. It came out really bad. I'm sure all of us here have nightmare stories about maybe cooking in college or, or you know, cooking stories uh, for, for, you know, those first number of years in marriage, right? Or, or maybe uh, you cooked a meal for your mom or your dad, and for some reason, you know, on Mother's Day or Father's Day, she really didn't take more than one bite, Right? Uh, just like when you were new to cooking and needed a cookbook or, or parents' help to assist you in these, in these things, it was the same for these new believers in Philippi. They needed guidance as well. The problem was they needed guidance. They needed a recipe for what it looked like to be a Christian, what it meant to have faith. But the problem was that the Bible wasn't really established yet. Right? There were these letters going around, and you had the Torah, you had the Old Testament. But for the most part, this new movement that was going on, they really didn't have a whole lot of instruction of what it meant to be living in what uh, at this time they called the way. And on top of that, they didn't really have a leader. Uh, they needed a teacher of this newfound faith, and, and yet their leader, quote-unquote, potential leader, was now in prison. Paul was in prison. And so Paul writes this letter from Rome, and, uh, and we all know that when, when it comes to something brand new, that when you're new to something, you're, subsep- you're susceptible to everything. And it's the same for our faith. When we're brand new to faith, 
we can be susceptible to anything that comes our way because we're not always sure what truth is. And that's exactly what started to happen in, in the days when Philippi, the church, was just established. So Paul actually begins to write down this, this letter to the church in Philippi, informing them on how they should live and warning them on what they need to watch out for because uh, people started to uh, uh, try and uh, change this idea of what it meant to be a Christian. They, they tried to revert Christians to other traditions and other other practices that were not what Jesus had established during his time on earth. In fact, it was the complete opposite of that. And for all of those who, who attempted cooking, you know that when you add something that you shouldn't, it ended up being a dangerous recipe. And it was the same way with these new believers. When something was added that wasn't what Jesus had taught, it was a dangerous recipe. And it's the same for you and I today. When we add things that aren't biblical or aren't what Jesus taught or, or practiced, when we add these traditions or when we add these things and consider them law, we have the unfortunate opportunity of making up a dangerous recipe in our hearts in our minds, in how we treat people. And we need to be careful of that. And so today, we're going to look into that. We're going to look at the, the Church of Philippi. We're going to see what was going on at the time. And we're going to see what we can glean and, and learn from them, from what Paul taught them. So open up your Bibles to Philippians 3. Philippians 3. 1 to 11. Uh, for those of you who use your Bible apps, I know that we've been having some troubles today. Um, so if there's any, any mistakes, just uh, um, have a lot of grace with us. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible somewhere. Um, but uh, uh, just be, yeah, be patient. If you've got a pen or your neighbor's got a pen, just borrow that. But please take notes. There's some really good stuff in this book. And so we're going to learn just what Paul had to say about these, these dangerous recipes. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1, he says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Father, I pray that as we just um, start looking into what Paul was teaching, I pray that we would just get a deeper understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to live in such a way that we would honor you every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that we can take away from Paul's warning to the church in Philippi is don't be deceived by counterfeit teaching. Don't be deceived by counterfeit teaching. In other words, don't be tricked by fake teaching, by fake news, things that sound right or even uh, look right but are actually wrong. They're, they're false. Don't be deceived by these things. Paul knew that with this newly formed faith, people would be vulnerable to other voices claiming to speak truth and distort it in hopes of, of leading others astray or, or get them to follow their own beliefs and, and traditions. Let me ask a question right now. Who are, uh, who are those in the, the room right now that when it comes to things in your house, you like things done a specific way? Yeah, yeah, right? When someone does something that you think is the wrong way, you know, at first you're just like, I'm just going to be chill. I'm just going to relax right now. I'm not going to think about it, right? And then they do it again. And what do you do? You go... <clears throat> right? And they don't hear you, you know, they're in their own world and they, they continue to do. And then you kind of creep up and you just go, hey there, what you doing? Right? I find I always do this with my son, right? Right now we're learning blocks and we're trying to stack blocks, but he likes destroying blocks. And I'm like, hey buddy, like this is the point, all right? Um, but many of you, right, you, you know exactly, <laughs> for those of you who have siblings or you've been, you know, you're married, you totally get this, right? Those, those first years of trying to figure each other out, you know, and, and you like things a certain way, done a certain way, and when it's not, what do you do? Usually you'll, you'll pipe up and you'll say something like, hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. Why are you doing it that way? You need to do it this way. And, and, and this is just a natural thing that, that comes out in us. And this is what started in the church of Philippi, is, is these, these new converts to Christianity, these new converts to faith, they, they started living in, in such a way that wasn't wrong, but it wasn't the way that the Jews had done it. And so they're, the Jews are, are seeing this and they're like, hey, wait, you can't do that. You, you can't be like that. You know, and, and especially like if you're going to say that you're saved, right? And if you're going to believe in the same God as the God of, uh, of the Jews, the God of Israel, there's certain things that you have to do and you, you have to uh, fulfill, you know, for, for if you were a man in the room, right? If you became a, a believer, right? You had to be circumcised. And so if you weren't circumcised, guess what, right? The, these, these people were going, you have to be circumcised. 
And so clearly attendance that Sunday was very low, right? Because they just didn't want, they didn't want part of that, right? Um, but on top of that, let alone the, the circumcision, there was this idea of not just 10 commandments, but over 600 laws that these new converts would suddenly have to obey. So it wasn't just like a culture shift or a lifestyle change. This was something that they would never be able to fully understand and fulfill. And so the Jews are seeing these, this new church in Philippi doing these things, and they're going, you can't do that. You need to start doing this. You need to start living this way. It's not about faith. It's about works. It's about what you're doing, what you've done. It's about, it's about who you are, right? It's, it's being circumcised. And, and that's where Paul steps in and he goes, excuse me, nope, right? Paul intervenes in this moment and he says, hey, watch out for people like this. And this is why Paul starts writing these letters, because he sees people doing this. He sees them trying to revert to these traditions and this lifestyle that isn't what Jesus was teaching in the time. And so he says in Philippians 1, he's like, hey, I don't mind writing this to you and sharing it with you again. Because, hey, you know what? That, that way of life, this isn't the way of life that Jesus was teaching. And he actually goes on to warn them saying, watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these dogs. Now, um, you know, Randy Jackson penned it great, right, when he was saying, hey, you're my dog, right, in American Idol. It's not like that, right? This was, this was a very bad term. It was actually used predominantly uh, towards um, um, people, groups that you just didn't like. It was, it was almost racist in nature. It was, it was very offensive, and he was saying, you dogs, Right? And he was trying to be intentional with this. He's saying, listen, like what you're doing, what you're trying to make these people be, that's not good, right? You're, you're a scavenger. You're not like a pet that we have, right? You're a scavenger trying to prey on the weak. And so Paul actually says, watch out for these dogs, these people that will try and change you in ways that suit them, not actually that suit Scripture, And so Paul understood that, that one must safeguard their faith from outside voices that would try and deceive people with counterfeit teachings. They'll say things like, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but it's actually not grace-based at all. Maybe some of you in the room here, this has been your story. You've had people speak into your life saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet in, in their whole talk, there was never any grace in it. It was all law. It was all religious-based, not faith-based. And, and this is something we actually need to check for ourselves. Are there traditions that I bring to the table, to this place, that aren't exactly scriptural? You know, one thing that, that um, always seems to pop up is things like dress code, right? We, we think that, you know, to be a Christian, you have to dress this way, right? You have to wear a suit and tie, and, and you have to be like this and, and act like this. And a lot of the times, there's no scriptural nature, like there's nothing in Scripture talking about it. Sure, you want to look good, right? 
I want to look good, right? All of you look good, right? Um, but when it comes to scriptural stand, like standing or, or where it is, it's, it's often, you know, we have these traditions and we implement it on these people. And it, it's like a burden on them to the point that they really don't want to come to church because all they know about church is it's that place with tons of rules. And often it's rules that we've made up. And it's not based on grace and faith at all. And the scary part is, is if you think about it, look at cults that we see in society today. How do cults turn people away from the good news? They give just enough truth laced with error. And sometimes we see this happen in the church. We give just enough truth laced with error. Hey, this is what it means to be a Christian because, right? This is what the Bible says, and we're totally taking it out of context. We need to be careful of that. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says, Don't you know that a little yeast uh, leavens the whole batch of dough? Just a little bit of false, fake news skews things. It distorts things. It's, it, it, it brings to light things that are not true and not what Jesus taught us. They use just enough scripture to deceive you, but not to free you. In fact, I would say there's more danger in, in people that use that, that scripture to deceive or to get their way than those who actually oppose us publicly. And we need to be careful of that because the good news is meant to free people. It's meant to to free people from bondage, not to deceive people. It's not meant to tie them down. I I think one of the most, uh, one of the best scripture verses in the Bible, other than, you know, scriptures like your your John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's another verse in, in the New Testament that was given by a guy by the name of James, who was actually Jesus' brother. And in, in the beginning of the workings of the church, he, he says this, and, and I actually think it's incredible, and I think if we have this mindset every day, it would change the way we treat people. He says in Acts fifteen nineteen, he says, don't make it difficult for Gentiles to be saved. Don't make the gospel difficult so people won't want anything to do with it. How often have I been convicted of saying, well, you know what, like they're doing it wrong. Oh, we're doing it wrong. Oh, we need to do it this way. You know, if you look at the early church, it was messy. There were things people were trying to figure out, right? How do we live by faith? How do we live by grace? And, and, and at times it was really messy, but they, they figured it out. If it was good with the Holy Spirit, it's good with us too. And we need to remember to constantly have this mentality that we need to be projecting a faith, a grace, a gospel that is attractive to people, that doesn't make it difficult for people to know Jesus and want Jesus in their life. Because I tell you right now, the gospel is the best thing that anyone will ever hear about in their entire life. So how are we revealing it to people? How are we showing it in such a way that it wouldn't be difficult to them? 
You know, the internet has opened up the ability uh, to take in all kinds of teachings that can lead people away from the good news. It's also provided a lot of opportunities that we can get the good news out there. What we need to do now is we need to filter what we're really listening to, filter what we're looking into, filter what we're, we're allowing into our lives. And this is why Jesus, you know, before, before internet or all these things, Jesus actually speaks up and, and says to the disciples, he says in Matthew ten sixteen, he says, I'm sending you out like wool or lambs into a pack of wolves. So be wise, he said, be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. We need to live in such a way where we have wisdom, where we walk in innocence, where we're having a pure mind and a pure heart. We need to be aware, uh, aware of the counterfeit teachings, uh, or sorry, we need to be aware of the counterfeit teachers who try to invade our life, whether it is in the form of legalism or, or prosperity gospel or even self-help books. Right? You look, you go to Indigo today and they're predominantly self-help books. And we need to be careful of some of these things that, that will trend us away from the gospel. But most of all, we need to remember. We need to look beyond this, not just be aware of, of people who will try and uh, get us away from the gospel, but we, we need to remember what Paul says at the beginning in, in verse 1 again. He says, he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. What does rejoice mean? Rejoice means to put all your attention to one thing or one person. We need to understand that when we deal with all this counterfeit and fake news around us, we need to keep our eyes focused on one thing, rejoice solely on one thing. And for us, it's Christ Jesus. We need to stay focused on God. Rejoice in the Lord. We need to understand that there's joy that comes with knowing Him, that there's security that comes from knowing Christ and, and applying his truths to our lives. Joy is the currency for all who put their hope in Christ. Not someone else's teachings or, or leadings, but in Christ. It's him who's the, the joy giver. Finally, we need to make sure that we're not deceived by religious practices. The Apostle Paul was raised thinking that, uh, that all his disciplines added up to something. And often we think that as well, right? You go to a good, if you do well in school, right, you'll, you'll, get, uh, you'll, you'll be able to go to a good university or college. And if you do well in university and college, you'll get to uh, get this incredible job that's six to figures, maybe seven if you're lucky, right? Are some of you in the room going, what? Seven? Right, but we have this mentality where we think if we do all these disciplines, it'll come out for us. It, it'll all work out for us. And often we, play, uh, we, we apply this same mentality to our faith. If I, if I do that or if I do this, I'll be in God's good books. I'll, I'll get this and, and I'll get that. But 
Paul quickly learned when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus that it wasn't the case, which is why he actually reminds us. He says in in Philippians 3 and 4, we rely on what Christ has done for us. We don't put confidence in human effort. We don't do that. And he actually goes on to say, hey, and you know what? If it was all based on human effort, look what I've done. And he gives us his resume. How often do we do that? Where we show our resume as if to get us one step higher in, in the church ladder. You know, one step higher in people honoring us or respecting us or giving us, you know, what we think we deserve. Happens all the time. And he says, none of that matters. Why? Because it's only Jesus who saved us. I have no confidence in what I've done because it's all about him. It's always been about him. Because at the end of the day, good intentions are not grace. Jesus would not have to die if practices had inherent value. So how are you living today? Is your faith based on what, you've, what you think you've done good for God this week? Do you feel it's stronger because of that? Do you think you're more saved because of what you've done? Or are you relying on, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm saved because of faith, not because of what I've done, but because of Him. Ephesians 2.8 says, that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about us. You know, in the room, uh, we can boast about a lot of things. I, every week, I, I boast with Aaron at the back about my uh, fantasy football. I, I'm 6-0. and um, What? Soon to be 7-0. and And I boast about those things, Right? And we all have something that we're proud of and that we boast about. But you know what? None of them are boastworthy. There's only one thing in our lives that we can boast on. It is the fact that, you know what? I I once was lost, but I'm now found. I was blind, but now I see. And it wasn't anything that I did. It was Christ in me. That's the one thing that we can boast on. And I love what Paul says in closing, and Ben, you can come on up. Paul, seeing this immense grace, living a life that was full of religious practice, he says this in conclusion. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of my surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. One of my favorite quotes is, is if you see righteousness in me, it's, it, it's nothing to do with me. It's merely a reflection of God's faithfulness in my life. It's always been about God. It's always Christ in me. 
It's Christ doing something in you that makes you so attractive to people. It's not the religious practice. It's not the way you dress. It's, it's, it's not the, the traditions that we have, although they can be good. They can turn us and, and make us focus our attention on God. But at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, it's Christ in us that makes the difference. And so I love how Paul concludes this. He's, he says, I want to know Christ. I've done the religious thing. I just want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. You know, some people get conned by counterfeit teaching. Some get conned by religious practice. The gospel is all about relationship. Anything that would limit or or compromise our complete trust in Christ and his sacrifice is, as Paul says, garbage. So let me encourage you today. Don't be deceived Christ is your only hope. Don't be deceived. Christ is your only hope. He must become the passion of your existence. And we can do that. We can pray that like Paul did, right? I want to know Christ. And so tonight, or today, I want to just pray for you right now. Because often we can get into this routine of, of thinking this is what it means to do church. This is what it means to do Christianity. When all along we actually lose focus of who we're doing it for. Who it's all about. It's, it's about Christ. It's about knowing Christ. Knowing his power. Knowing his resurrection. Knowing his truth. And for some of you in the room, maybe uh, today you've, you've been going through a brutal season. And so you've lost focus of that. Where you're, you're more so just doing these disciplines, but the heart isn't there anymore. That, that faith is wavering. There's these major decisions or, or struggles that you have. And, and as a result, You've lost focus. And the great thing about the good news, the great thing about the gospel, the best thing about the gospel is God loves you because he loves you. It's nothing that you've done to deserve it. He just loves you. And so when we just humbly come before him and say, you know what, God, I lost focus. I, I got into this routine and, and I, I forgot the faith element. I, I forgot the grace element and I've been sticking with these traditions, hoping they get me by, but it's getting me nowhere. I want to pray for you today. If you've lost focus and if you're in the room and, and you know, maybe the good news is, is something that you're still working through and you're trying to understand what is this good news Here it is, pretty simply. Simply put. It's what I was saying before. God so loved the world 
that he gave his son Jesus that whosoever believed would be saved. Our hope is Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. And I pray today that you would put your trust in him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, who have, uh, who's finding themselves in a place where they've lost focus. They've, they've maybe even lost the faith. And they've just been doing this mundane routine, but it's not getting them through the day. They still feel hopeless and helpless. I pray today, Father, that as we, we just spend time uh, right now just Um, as we're about to sing, Lord, that they would just readjust. Readjust and, and, and set their focus on you. Father, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. Not their, not their efforts, not, not the traditions, not all these things. But Lord, that because of their eyes focused on you, they would find joy that they would overcome because you overcame Lord that they would find hope and security in you God that you would be the center of their lives God be the center of our lives be the center of our lives In Jesus' name.